Welcome to the 277th episode of the So Video Games Podcast, where we talk about any game at all, including new stuff, old stuff, and anything in between. If we're playing it, we'll be talking about it. Today we are recording on March 25th, 2022. My name is Brad Galloway. I am the editor of GameCritics.com. And 50% of this year's show with me is the gaming wife who is the love of my life, Gina Galloway. Priming? Really? It's a little early in the day, I admit. It's, it's a little early. It's a little early in the day. Folks, uh, as you may know, that's not Carlos. And I'm glad that it isn't because that'd be real fucking weird if it was. Real awkward. No, no, folks. Carlos is away. Unfortunately, his syphilis is acting up again. He's on an intense course of antibiotics. We're wishing him the best. Get well soon, buddy. Uh, he should be back next week. But in the meantime, while he's recuperating, we have a former guest and current spouse, Gina Galloway. Hello again, everyone. <clears throat> Thank you so much, honey, for being back and filling in for uh, on such short notice. I know that it probably wasn't on your agenda to be doing a uh, podcast uh, this morning. So thank you. At least I have a cup of coffee already, so we're good to go. <clears throat> excellent, excellent. Well, folks, this is going to be a slightly different, slightly uh, unusual, and maybe maybe slightly charming show. We'll see. See how that goes. Um, so in lieu of Carlos not being here, we will still cover a number of games. Uh, and then at the very end, we will uh, circle back and we'll kind of do a follow-up. Elden Ring is still the hotness right now. And a lot of people still playing, a lot of people still getting in. And one of those people is my wife, Gina Galloway. So we're going to do a little bit of the Elden Spouse cast today to kind of round out the show. Um, but before we do that, as everyone knows, you know, Carlos and I share a virtual living space, but Gina and I share a real living space. It's not divided down the middle with a strip of duct tape. We just kind of share the space that we have. We kind of just have mutual agreements. We ask first if we want to use the space. We get along. It's a good agreement, and we, we kind of keep it going. So we're going to do, like, actual housekeeping today, although not really because we're not cleaning up anything. We're not putting anything away. But we're going to keep that spirit going with a, a true, true space. Uh, honey, do you have any housekeeping for the show today? Um, I was thinking about what to talk about, and I was thinking maybe... <clears throat> talking about uh, the show that we just wrapped up, our, one of our family shows. So we always have a family show that we watch in the evening, and then we have our inappropriate shows that we watch once our kid finally goes to bed. And by inappropriate, it's not strictly porn. I mean, usually it's people who not are getting... Not strictly. Not strictly, but they could be super not violent. Not off the table, though. Yeah, not off the just table, saying. but it could be something that's usually pretty violent, or maybe, I don't know, just something that we feel like is maybe one notch too much for our homeschooling child. Who... To be fair, watches a pretty wide <laughs> array of shit that maybe other parents wouldn't, but we still have our standards, right? Yes, we do. Yes. Um, so we just recently, um, wrap, well, not wrapped up, we caught up. Um, we've been watching Resident Alien, yeah, which has been a very entertaining show. So the basic premise is an alien comes to Earth and his job is to basically kill everyone. And everything gets fucked up and he ends up stuck on Earth. And he can take on the form of a human, so he is now in the form of a human. He is trying to behave in a way that people do not catch on that he is an alien, and um, also find his his tool, his piece that he needs, so that he can continue to yeah. He crash kill lands, off everyone, and so he loses a lot of his equipment. Like he loses his doomsday device. His ship is wrecked and lost, and so he's kind of stranded without resources, right? Yeah, yeah. So it's. It's been a pretty entertaining show. I think we've there's two seasons, or it, we're in one and a half. There's, 1. They're in a, yeah, they're at a break right now, and they're going to be doing the second half of season two. And he um, eventually makes some connections with people and starts realizing that maybe humans shouldn't be wiped off. But actually, part of the humorous part of it is he has very specific people that he likes. And the rest, he's like, no, I'm still going to go ahead and kill everybody because you all suck. So, which is kind of amusing and maybe a little too relevant to how we might be feeling sometimes. I, mean, I feel you, bro. Like, I definitely feel that right now. <laughs> yes. Make one bunker, have just just the people I need in it, and then we're good. Um, so it's been very entertaining. So I've, I've really enjoyed that show so far. Yeah, it's a good show. It stars what Alan... Tudyk, I guess. I don't. I, I may be totally slaughtering his name. I apologize, no sir. Idea. I know he listens to the show, so I. Right, I'm very right. sorry that I mispronounced your name. He's definitely going to complain after this. He is the guy. He does a lot of voice work now, but he also was on what Firefly. He was yes. the guy on Firefly. Yep. I feel like he's been in something else high profile that we enjoyed recently, and it's just really escaping me right now. But anyway, Alan Tudyk, I'm sure if you are 
a sci-fi person or if you like the kind of the same kind of shows that we do you probably know who that guy is he's he's a good dude nathan fillion is in it as yeah well. he makes a guest appearance we don't have to spoil that but he's on the show for a couple episodes as well kind of a firefly quasi reunion well then we'll have to take it out in post <laughs> it's more work um also, quick shout out to uh, former podcaster Corey Motley before we continue on. I was just reminded um, he has graciously stepped in to do the editing uh, because the last time I tried to do the editing for the show when Carlos was away, I did not do a very good job of it. I, again, apologize for my rookie mistakes. We all have our skills. Yeah, that is not one of them. I, I just have never really gotten around to learning how to edit. I got to do that. It's on my bucket list. But uh, thank you to Corey Motley, who is listening right now. Uh, and thanks uh, to, I guess... The Cosmos for not wiping him out in that recent uh, hurricane that hit New Orleans. I'm glad you kept Corey alive. We love Corey. Uh, so thank you for doing the editing, Corey. Um, as for my part of the housekeeping, gosh, you know, uh, I know we talk about He-Man pretty often these days because I'm kind of living in the Masters of the Universe universe. Um, but I was talking to my son yesterday. We were watching She-Ra, the original like 85, 84, 85 series. And we're about maybe 30 episodes in. And I believe we have like 90 episodes total, a little bit less than the original run of He-Man. And he turns over to look at me and he's like, Dad, we're going to run out of He-Man pretty soon. And I'm like, you know, that's actually true. We watched the entire 2000 series. We watched He-Man's original 1984 run. We watched the whole thing of that in process with She-Ra. We've got, so what we got left is we've got the uh, the new adventures of He-Man, which I'm expecting to be a garbage pile that came out like in the 90s. Uh, never seen an episode, but I'm expecting it to be terrible. And then we also have the new She-Ra reboot on Netflix. Um, and I think we're also caught up on the He-Man Netflix. So he just kind of looked at me and there was like a slight tinge of despair in his face. And he's like, what are we going to do when we run out? And I'm like, man, you know, it's like one of those teaching moments where you kind of go, you know, all good things come to an end. There's only so much of something in the world. And sometimes you get to the end of it and, and that's okay. Like you move on to something else. Or as my wife suggested, you just go back to square one and watch the whole thing again. That That was where I thought you guys should go with it, but. Up to you. I don't know that we're going to do that, or maybe we'll let some time uh, pass in between. I mean, we're currently in the middle of rewatching the entire series of The Office. My son and I watched that together um, right when I started homeschooling, um, and I we both really enjoyed it. It was actually my son's pick. I think we started watching it when he was like nine or ten. I have no no idea why he chose it, but we watched the whole thing, and now we're we're doing that rewatch. So I think one rewatch at a time is all we're good for. So maybe we'll let we'll let He Man sit for a while once we get through it. So. We'll see. We'll see. We'll see. All right, folks. That is it for housekeeping. Nice and tidy today. Nothing else. We're going to get into the main content of the show, and it's going to be probably a little quicker than usual because the first couple games I don't have a whole lot to say about, but the third one is a special treat, and then we will get to the spouse cast at the end here. <clears throat> so starting off today, we have Vengeful Heart playing this on Switch. It is a pixel-based indie visual novel with a pretty interesting premise about um, a world where water is the most precious and important resource. So I guess not too hard to imagine compared to with what we're living today. So the characters in this uh, are just kind of like getting through this world. It's like a dystopia. Uh, you know, they talk about like, you know, water and what to do in this world. I mean, I got to be honest with you, though. I didn't play a whole ton of it because it's one of those visual novels that is real heavy on the novel. And not much else. Um, when I started up uh, in bed, as you guys all know, I play Switch in bed before I go to sleep just to kind of wind down. And I like, you know, I like things I can ease into. I like things that are pretty chill. But, you know, if it's just text on a screen, that's just like reading a book. And there's nothing wrong with books. But if I wanted to read a book, I would read a book. And I don't want to read a book. So the time I spent with Vengeful Heart was just advancing text. I didn't come across any choices. I didn't come across any mini games. I didn't come across anything that kind of really leveraged the the virtual nature and the electronic medium in any way. So it seems cool, cool premise, um, you know, life in a world where that kind of a struggle for a basic resource tinges everything. And of course, the art was really good. I did like the pixel art quite a bit. Um, but I just, you know, as I've said before, many times in the show, I like visual novels, but they have to be something that really take advantage of being on a game like I, I just don't want to read a book and it felt like pretty booky to me so i put it down pretty quick but it does seem pretty cool if you like visual novels um honey do you have you ever played a visual novel i can't recall not really i'm definitely not one who wants to be reading through my game i definitely want to have some action and be in there so i know that that's not really my cup of tea yeah you're definitely like way heavier on like the twitch action side right yes yeah. for sure yeah what is your, what would you say your favorite 
favorite platform uh, kind of not platform your favorite genre is would you say did you just give away i gave it away i'm sorry Freudian slip nice work god i've never done a podcast before this sucks yes platformers are definitely um that's probably my go-to kind of game but um you know some something actiony i i really enjoy you know getting in there doing combat and stuff like that um so yeah platformers is probably my my top all right that makes sense yeah you know i like I'm not like I wouldn't say like I'm a Twitch gamer. I'm not like people. I'm not a person who like does combos or like Devil May Cry stuff. I don't need you know Musou stuff. But you know I like I like to do a little more than just advanced text. So anyway, that was Vengeful Heart. I didn't have a whole lot to say about it. Apologies there. But uh, if you do like the text heavy uh, visual novels, maybe check that one out. So it does seem pretty cool. Next game up on the agenda is Royal Frontier. This is an indie 2D roguelike which is also turn-based and shares combat with a lot of um jrpg stylings it's a very uh typical kind of setup where when you get to the meat of play it's you have three characters on one side enemies on the other side uh, you choose attacks from a menu you have uh points you know for health points for magic and you, you know it plays out basically like a jrpg but the roguelike element comes in uh in in pre-battle so you you have these guys they all kind of look alike it's kind of weird because the art style makes them all out to be kind of like squat bald dudes with mustaches like everybody whether they're a warrior it's a squat dude with a mustache if you're a wizard it's a squat dude with a mustache and if you're a monk you're a squat bald dude with a mustache i mean it's like they've got a theme going on so i mean who doesn't want to play a game with all their characters looking like that it's a little weird I was almost expecting the enemies to look like SWAT dudes with mustaches. Thankfully, they don't. They're like goblins and, I don't know, wolves or whatever. You know, your typical typical fantasy fair. But once you select your characters, there's three to start and there's three that's locked. Uh, I, th- I believe the starting classes are like warrior, wizard, and monk. Monk does the healing. Warrior does the heavy damage. Wizard has spells. Uh, you go to a big map and there's a whole bunch of little nodes you can pick from. Um, like, like a crazy amount of nodes, like 30 or 35 nodes on the screen. And you just randomly pick some. One is a question mark. That could be anything. One is a battle signified by a skull. One is a treasure chest, which means you get an item. One is a money bag, which is like a shop. So you kind of like pick your route. Very similar to something like Slay the Spire. And as you go along, you'll fight enemies. And sometimes you get like some gear after that where it's like a new vest for your warrior, like a plus five defense. Or you'll get a new wand for your wizard, which is like a plus five attack or something. There's also little story events where uh, they're like, hey, you stumble into a bar and the barkeep is offering a free mug of ale, but it smells kind of funny. Do you drink it? Yes or no. And, you know, there's either a plus or a minus effect to it and random stuff like that. But honestly, there's not a lot of randomness to it. And uh, as anybody who listens to the show knows, I play all the roguelikes. If Carlos was here, he'd say, you play all the roguelikes. And I'm like, yes, I do, Carlos. Did I jump in and say that? Say it real quick. You play all the roguelikes. Thank you. Yes, I do. And, um. So in this one, there's not a lot of rogue. I feel like this is kind of a more of a progression grind than a roguelike because when you get sent back to the start, all your stuff that you earn is lost, which I think is kind of a bad move for this particular game. And when you restart, it's like you just go back to the beginning of nothing and then recollect all that stuff. And ultimately what you're collecting is points to advance your permanent unlockable. So I did three or four runs that basically were all alike where I'm just doing a lot of JRPG combat. Um, the only things that were different was like, I had a better staff one time. I had a better vest one time. I had a better sword one time, but like, that's all it is. Like, it's just like slight damage and defense modifiers. Like it wasn't like I ever found a crazy new ability or like a machine gun or anything that really made it feel very different. It was just percentage modifiers. And I was replaying the same combat over and over and over. And ultimately I was just trying to get far enough to unlock, um, a permanent stat boost that you can choose at the beginning, which is not very much. It doesn't change the feeling of the game very much. It's not much variety. And everybody knows roguelikes live and die based on their variety. So if you have a run, run-based run roguelike where every run basically feels exactly the same, that's kind of a fail. So I think the, the general gist of Royal Frontier is okay, but like it just needed a lot more craziness, a lot more randomness, a lot more true variety to the gameplay to really make it stand out. Because as it stands, it just feels like you're playing a whole lot of JRPG combat and just grinding for like, for points, which is not anything that I ever want to do. So is this one appealing to you, honey? You got to jump in on this? Not even a tiny bit. I think I've mentioned before that roguelike <laughs> is definitely not the genre I'm into. And that last sentence where you talked about how this is a roguelike that it's very roguelike without the variety or 
something like that. Nope. All so, the grind, none of the variety. Yeah, that is that's going to be a hard pass for me. I know you don't care for roguelike in general, but you did play one recently that you really liked. It was um, Neon Abyss, right? Yes, actually, I really enjoyed that one. But I did kind of get to a point where I wasn't advancing much anymore, and it was getting frustrating. Let's talk about that for a minute, because I think that's an interesting one. So you want to give us a quick recap on what Neon Abyss was about, or what you liked about it, or why? Well, I I think one of the things that I really enjoyed about it was exactly what you mentioned about variety. I didn't feel... Um, bored in what I was doing. It didn't feel roguelike. So I think that's why I liked it. I don't think it even really occurred to me that that would be what the genre was until you and I were kind of going over the game and talking about it. And I think it was because of that variety. It felt like even though I was having to go back and kind of restart these levels and try and get myself advanced, it felt like there was enough in there to keep me entertained that I didn't really, I didn't get pissed off every time I was having to start over, which is really where I end up. With yeah. Yeah. You're not, a, you're not a fan of the feeling like you get sent back to square one, right? That's the big deterrent for you. Feeling like I am getting punished for yeah. not having the reflexes I had when I was 25. Yeah. I mean, I think that's a real key thing, you know, cause I think roguelikes are famous for having that feeling of getting sent back to the square one and, and having, that punishing feeling. But I think the good ones these days are really avoiding that. Like they give you a sense of permanence and of advancement. And I think Neon Abyss is a great one. Uh, you know, 2D indie roguelike where there's a lot of platforming, but each run, you know, I played it for a little bit and you played it. I mean, to be fair, you played it for like a pretty significant amount of time, at least 15, 20 hours at least. Right. Yeah. I put a pretty good chunk into it for sure. Yeah. And honestly, if, if it hadn't been for some really poor choices on the part of the developer um, gating progress, I think you probably would have finished it. I mean, as I was watching you, you were knocking out boss after boss and you eventually got to a place where like you had to do like secret stuff to figure out even how to unlock the next boss. And that's kind of where you burned out. And I don't blame you because I watched you do, I want to say seven or eight runs in a row where you just, you just didn't get to the boss, not because you weren't good at it, but because you couldn't figure out what the criteria were to get to the boss. And that to me is really poor design. But other than that, like you were rocking and rolling, right? Yeah. If they hadn't added that piece in there or if, if I was able to just figure out kind of what that little trick was and then move on. But even once I figured out what it was, I didn't always trigger it every time. It was, and so yeah, it, it was, just, it was secret and random, which yeah. is like a really shitty thing to do. So I, I fell off it pretty quick, but up to that point, I was really, really enjoying it. And I, I was, it was really enjoyable as well because just the lifestyle that we lead with work and, homeschooling and all the 9 million things we have to do, I was able to just get in, do a few runs, get back out and go about my business. And so I really, really enjoyed that. So I was, I was very frustrated when I hit that part because I wanted to keep going. I actually wasn't tired of the game yet, but I was real tired of that mechanic. So I was good. Yeah. And that game, it's a shame too, because that game has a lot of variety. Like every run was wildly different. Some runs you were like flying and some runs you had a grenade launcher and some runs you were like punching dudes and like every time I looked at your screen, you were doing something that was look, looking significantly different than what you did the last time. And that's that's what makes a great roguelike, you know. So that's the thing that Royal Frontier was really missing out on. Like it's not about plus five damage or minus five damage. It's about having a new weapon, having a new ability, having a new character that does something different and having that variety and making the best with what you have that run, I think is really the key to a good roguelike, which I think was really reflected in Neon Abyss. You seem to really connect with it a lot as well. So not like I'm going to start shoving more roguelikes your way, but I think that maybe, maybe you like the genre a little more than you think you do. I think I probably could branch out. Also, I trust your opinion and I know that you know what I like. Plus you have to sit in the living room with me when I start bitching about a game. So that doesn't help you either. So I trust your picks. I try to recommend only good things to people that I love. All right. Well, that was Royal Frontier with a quick divergence to Neon Abyss. Um, One more game in the regular roster here. Then we're going to get into the Elden Spouse cast in just a minute here. Uh, Weird West. This game is still under embargo. At the time that we're recording this, I believe it comes out in five more days. It's from Wolf Eye Studios, which are made up of some of the people who used to work at Arcane Studios, um, which may get the attention of some people. This is a top-down isometric horror western. It's an RPG, but it's also... Uh, got immersive sim elements and it's also got like real-time combat it's kind of a strange blend and i've been provided a code for the purposes of preview uh non-scored 
non-review preview, which is exactly what I'm doing now. So I am free to talk about it on an impressions basis. Uh, so this is, again, not a review. No score is going to be attached to this at all. Um, I, I wasn't sure what to make of this, but the trailers look pretty cool. And I love a good horror Western. I mean, it's probably... I don't know that I've ever really talked about it on the show because it's not a genre that comes up that often, but it's probably one of my favorite things. Like, I really like that idea that, you know, you could be a cowboy out somewhere riding the range and then all of a sudden there's like zombies or something like that mashup to me is like super appealing. What do you any thoughts on that, honey? Yeah, for sure. I like when when they mix things up like that and you kind of never know what's going to come at you. I enjoy that. I think it just really adds to the mystique of like the Wild West, right? I mean, I kind of like Westerns in general. I wouldn't say like I'm a huge western nut but i like a good western and then adding supernatural elements you know black magic on your bullets or resurrecting somebody and going after them and you know like that, that kind of whole thing is just really super appealing and that's exactly what weird west is they take uh, the basis of a wild west and they add in all sorts of like witchcraft werewolves zombies uh you know all sorts of supernatural creatures magic and all that stuff so that to me was like they're already halfway home with me uh, they just had to nail the rest of it. And I got to say, so far, it seems like they have. You start the game out as a lady bounty hunter. It's a predefined character. And your husband gets kidnapped by cannibals and your boy gets shot. And they leave him for dead at your ranch. It's a pretty brutal opening, but it sets the tone pretty effectively. You swear you're never going to strap on your shooting irons again. But after this happens, you've got no choice. Uh, you got to rescue your husband from whatever meat factory they've sent him off to. So um, you get back on your horse, you ride into town, you talk to the sheriff and things get rolling. Basically, you have a number of systems. Um, uh, so there's a bunch of there's, there's systems, top systems, right? So the first part is the RPG part where you can talk to people, you can make friends, you can make enemies, people track your behavior. Did you steal from people? Did you help people? Um, which quests did you do? How did you resolve them? So there's a lot of that. There's a, quite a bit of talking to people, which I think is awesome, like riding into town talking to folks, talking to the sheriff, talking to like, you know, whoever needs something and helping people out or screwing them over is something that can happen. This has a Witcher feel to it. A little bit, a little bit. It's not quite, the quests so far are not as in-depth or as nuanced as the Witcher quests, but still that same sense of like, I'm a person who can get things done and I'm coming to town and I'm kind of doing that thing, which works. It's a good premise for a video game. Um, so you do that thing. You can recruit people to come with you. Um, I believe that also you're going to get like, I believe either teammates or maybe you will switch characters at some point in the future. I only started playing this yesterday, as I said, as a preview, so I don't exactly know the full shape of things to come, um, but I do have some ideas. Anyway, you have this uh, this one character, and once you get a quest, you ride out to a number of locations. You go to a big map, and there's just like icons on the map, and it'll say, oh, you want to go to this ranch? That's nine days. You want to go to this other uh, cave in the mountains? That's like uh, two days or whatever. And so like time is also a factor, because some quests have like a limited time. Uh, for example, I was, uh, in the main town, the blacksmith, uh, has been kidnapped also by the same people who kidnapped your husband. The blacksmith's wife is like, Oh, can you please rescue him? You can, you can say yes or no. It's totally up to you. And if you say yes, it'll be like, Oh, you've got like four days to complete this quest before he gets turned into hamburger. So then you have to kind of plan it out, right? Like if you're going to do some stuff in town, that doesn't cost any time, but as soon as you leave town, the clock starts running. So do you want to get some weird little side stuff done first? and run some time down or do you want to like hurry up and get the thing done that you want to do before you run out of time so that's a nice little piece of pressure it doesn't feel too crazy i feel like all the limits so far are pretty reasonable it just kind of like encourages you to get certain quests done and and just know that you don't have forever to do them which i think is fine you can take on bounties um and like go after some outlaws to make some money and it's interesting because if you take some of those on if you fail the bounty that person will get pissed off at you and they'll come after you because you didn't kill them or if you do manage to kill them, other members of their posse that you leave alive will come back after you and be like, oh, you killed my boss. I'm here to take you out. Like, they'll just show up like randomly out of nowhere, which is crazy. Uh, also really fun. And the other part of this is there's a lot of physics, which you wouldn't expect in a game like this. But you can jump, you can climb, you can mantle things. And there's all sorts of stuff in the environment. Like, you can open windows and jump in and out of windows. You can jump on rooftops. You can, if you can see a guy, no matter where they are, you can shoot them. And there's also stuff like explosive barrels or barrels for the chemicals. You can kick those over. You can kick enemies off ledges into other things. Like there's a lot of like really weird physics stuff that can happen that lead to like a lot of really unexpected consequences. Like uh, it rains and then you throw um, an electric grenade and like a magical electric grenade, which is one thing you can have in this game. 
and whoever's like standing in a puddle will get like electrified and that electricity will, will, will travel around and kill a bunch of dudes. Right. So you've got that kind of weird wonky physics stuff, um, which can be really interesting and funny and lead to some, some real surprises. Uh, and of course, sometimes it, it bites you in the ass, right? Like somebody knocks over an explosive barrel you weren't expecting and you get blown up or maybe a werewolf hits you and you get knocked into like somebody else. And that person is a melee fighter or something. So like you have to manage the physics of the battlefield, which is pretty interesting. Uh, and on top of that, you have your actual real-time combat. Now, I got to admit, I'm a little bit split on this. I love the feeling of running and dodging and shooting bad guys. Uh, but at the same time, I've hit a few areas where I feel like there's a little too many bad guys. And it's kind of tough because this game asks you to do some finger gymnastics. I'm not sure how it works on the PC, which is I'm sure this is where they developed it. But on on the Xbox where I'm playing it, you know, left stick is move, right stick is aim. You have a little, uh, like a little, uh, I don't know, laser laser beam scope thing that shows up when you are about to fire. Shows you where you're aiming, which is great. Uh, but sometimes it doesn't always go where you think it's going to go. Sometimes it's a little bit laggy, and so like you're kind of waiting for that cursor to get to where it's going to go. That could be tightened up a little bit. But also, you have abilities uh, because you're a supernatural law person, and it's like you have to number one, have the right weapon equipped because each weapon has its own different magical abilities. And then once you have the weapon equipped, you have to ready the weapon with like the left trigger. And then you have to, Oh God, it's like hold. I want to say it's like right bumper or something. And then it brings up a menu. And then once that menu's up, you have to hit like one of the corresponding face buttons to activate that power, which already like, I'm even getting confused talking about it. Cause it's like three or four steps. And that's, okay if it was a turn-based game but since this is real-time combat there's been many situations where i'm like oh i really want to do my uh ability where i shoot every single person around me in a circle but i i i'm running and i'm dodging and i got to get away from these people and they're shooting me and i i can't pull off the the motions because it's like it's too complicated so i i i I halfway feel like this game would be better served if it was turn-based um but at the same time i do think there's something really exciting and visceral about having the real-time stuff going on can really make you sweat when you're trying to get away from bad guys when you're trying to dodge people and hide so i i kind of feel like maybe uh, some fewer bad guys to make it just a little bit more manageable to make it so you're using your powers more often and maybe that'll come with practice Uh, but so far i noticed that i'm really ignoring my powers because it's too many things for my fingers to do and i'm usually getting the shit shot out of me when it's going on and so i'm struggling to really take advantage of the multiple layers of magic systems that your, your gunslinger has. Um, but so far I love the tone. I love the story. The artwork is fucking awesome. I love the concept. I mean, I love just what's going on. I love the little side quest that you do. Everything about this so far. And again, early days, uh, preview haven't finished the game at all based on first impressions over about a day. I feel like this could be like easily like a top 10 contender for me this year. I mean, if it, if it stays on track and I don't have too much trouble with the combat as things get h- tougher, I really feel like I've got uh, a winner on my hands here. So shout out to Wolf Eye Studios. Uh, all lights are pretty green so far, and I'm digging this one. You'll definitely hear me talking about it again in the future, and we will be doing a full review at Game Critics pretty soon. So, Ani, I don't, you, were, you, were you watching me when I was playing this uh, yesterday? Yeah, I peeked. <clears throat> over your shoulder a couple of times and uh just the look of it i mean you have your headphones on and stuff so i I wasn't like sitting and watching through but the look of it looks really cool it looked like something just visually appealing that i would like to check out and from your explanation i think it sounds pretty interesting it's pretty cool i i definitely think there's a couple rough edges to, to sand down on the combat but man so much of this game feels totally dialed in and interesting and different so like people who like immersive sims or people who like arcane studios or people who like Fallout, Shadow Tactics, um, Divinity, maybe anything. If you like any of those games, like definitely check this one out. It feels different than those, but I think it's got enough of the same vibes and enough of the same interesting experimental quality that it's really, it's really pretty compelling. And when is it available? I want to say it's coming out in five days. By the time this podcast comes out, it'll be just about to drop. And unless I'm mistaken, it's coming to Game Pass. Uh, so if it's coming to Game Pass, if that information is correct, nothing to lose. Download, check it out. I believe it's also coming to other systems. PC, of course. I believe also PlayStation as well. So, all right, that is Weird West from Wolf Eye Studios. 
And like I said, pretty fucking awesome so far. We will have more updates in the future. I'm sure Carlos is going to chip in with his uh, opinion when he gets off of his medication. Um, all right. So that brings us to the final segment of the show, the Elden Spouse Cast. Now, we did the Elden Cast a while ago. Carlos and I uh, did a pretty epic show going back and forth about our opinions, our thoughts. Carlos approaching it from the perspective of someone who was basically getting into a FromSoft game for the very first time. Me coming at it as a 20-year veteran of FromSoft games. But my wife is also a big Souls fan. I've mentioned it on the show many times, and I thought this might be a good opportunity to strike while the iron's hot. Everybody still wants to hear about Elden Ring. Everybody's still playing Elden Ring because it's fucking huge. So let's keep talking about it. Let's milk this a little bit more. So, honey, you are playing Elden Ring, correct? Yes. Yes, I am. All right. Before we get into that, I, I, I knew that, by the way. I knew that. I didn't spring that okay. on you. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Thanks. Um, before we get into that, let's talk a little bit about your history with FromSoft and the Souls series. So where, what was your, remind me, what was the very first Souls game or Souls-like game you played? And what which ones have you played? Um, so... Correct me if I'm wrong, if I remember correctly. So I think I started with Dark Souls 2. I think was that's what, correct. Yeah. what I started with. And I, I really, really enjoyed it. It was super fun. Um, I remember you sat with me and you kind of like walked me through some of the the stat stuff and just kind of what to expect because I had never played a game like that before. And so that that was huge. That like just that little like kind of support. And I know we've done the same thing with uh, Monster Hunter. Same thing where, you know, you kind of walk me through a couple of things so I didn't have to get to that frustration level, which was really awesome. Um, I love Dark Souls, too. And then um, what else did we play? I played uh, Demon Souls yeah. recently. I think I just went. You played the PS5 remake. Yeah, yeah. I went back to that one. Um, I played Bloodborne, which I did not care for. Um, and I think that's. You played Dark Souls it. 3. Oh, yeah. So that I've played most of them. Yeah, I think, at this point, I think the only ones you haven't played. Correct me if I'm wrong. You haven't played Sekiro, which I do no. not recommend. Yeah, no, I haven't. Um, and, and I won't. And I, I, I think you've never played Dark Souls the first one. Am I wrong? I no. feel like you haven't played the original Dark Souls. I, I don't think so. I don't think I went. I don't think I went back. I think we were waiting for it to get. This is a, making it sound like we have the worst memory ever. You know these games. There's just so many games. We can't remember all the games. But I feel like we were waiting for a remaster of Dark Souls because at the time that I played it, it was, I want to say it was on the 360, and it was really having some severe frame rate problems. Like, um, you know, anybody who knows Souls will know about Blight Town and how, like, choppy and stop-starty that was. And I think I was like, you know, you might like this, but it's just technically not there yet. And now that there is a remaster, I think we just got busy with it. I think we were probably playing... You know, you were probably playing Bloodborne or something when the remaster of Dark Souls 1 came out. And, you know, you didn't want to play those back to back. I mean, yeah, uh, you know, no. probably not. So, well, you know, you when you finish Elden Ring um, 17 years from now, maybe <laughs> we'll circle back around to Dark Souls 1 and you can, you know, complete the series or something. So Does that sound about right, though. Yeah, I think so. I think that's that's my history in a nutshell. All right, cool. So I guess I guess, man, I'm not sure where to even start. I mean, so we're playing Elden Ring right now and. Before we get into that, what is it that you like about this kind of game, like this formula of game? Like, so we just talked about the ones you've covered. You played most of them, um, and you know a lot of people out there are pretty pretty cold on Souls. A lot of people don't care for it. But what was it about it that you like, or what what about these games that uh, appeals to you? So I always end up playing as a melee player. Every one of these, when I stat my character out, I like melee and some dexterity, so I can have a bow. Those are usually that's usually the type of character I have. And I really enjoy action combat games. So I've really enjoyed those. And I've really enjoyed these kind of games because I can go out and explore a bit. I can get familiar with an area. So there's the heightened anxiety when I never know what's around a corner. But then I learn that path, right? And then you can kind of go back and forth and you can let yourself level up if that's what you're looking to do. Or you can move on to the next thing. And I've just really enjoyed the process of exploring the areas and the combat that's involved. Yeah, I love a lot of those same things, too. So I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, I have to admit, I, I, you know, if memory serves, back when we first started introducing you to these, I wasn't sure that it was going to click, right? Because, you know, you come from a really strong platformer background, and there's a pretty wide world of difference between your average platformer and your average souls like but you know you do really like the action stuff and uh you're a great player as well i mean we um have played a lot of really tough games together and you've gotten through some really cool uh really challenging stuff which i think is interesting because 
I think that when we first met and watching you do like hop and bop and platforming, I'm not sure that you would have, I wasn't sure you were going to like, like that other stuff, but you really have uh, grown to really uh, become a strong player in that, in that genre. I wasn't sure I would like that kind of stuff <laughs> to be perfectly honest. No, for sure. I mean, I think um, you know, my likes and dislikes enough that, you know, what stuff to suggest that would allow me to kind of try out something else. And again, I think the support as well, you know, you kind of walking me through some of the the menus and the stats and stuff like that. I I didn't have to stumble and bumble my way through it, which was really nice. So yeah, I mean, I've really, really enjoyed these games. I was not um, much of a Bloodborne fan, but other than that, I've really enjoyed them. So yeah, it's funny. I think the best way to learn certain games, and, and this is true for Souls-likes, or it's true for Monster Hunter, or it's true for, you know, a bunch of other games, where, uh, where often the best way to learn something is just Warframe, even too, especially Warframe. Yes, yes. It's just to play with somebody who already knows, right? So they can they can save you the headaches, they can save you the wiki diving, they can save you the hassle of why didn't this work, why did this happen, what's going on, right? You don't have to save the sentence, oh, I wish I had known that 30 yeah. hours ago. Exactly, right. So like, yeah, I mean, people walked me through Monster Hunter when I got into it and I was happy to pay that forward. You know, people walked me into Warframe and then I got you into Warframe once I knew what was going on. So I think that's a good way to learn. It's unfortunate that tutorialization isn't better. I mean, it sucks that you have to like watch a bunch of videos or like, you know, go looking on an FAQ or something. But anyway, once you get over that hump, I think there's a lot of good stuff there. I mean, obviously, because you play those games and I play these games as well. So specifically talking about Elden Ring, um, I know... You recently played Demon Souls, the remake, but you know, even after playing that, you were still really hyped for this one. Why were you so excited about Elden Ring? Why were you looking forward to it? So I think one of the things that I was really excited about was the fact that you and I were going to be starting it together. So the other games, we you had already played them. You'd played them a while ago. And so you weren't currently playing them. And so, you know, you were kind of helping me out here and there, but we weren't really playing it together. So with this, the ability for us to be able to jump in and out of each other's games and help each other out with bosses and stuff like that, I was really, really excited for us to start it at the same time. And we've been pretty neck and neck this whole time. I think at this point I have like 85 hours in and I think you have like 80 or something like that. It's pretty, pretty similar. Yeah, You've had to jump out to play other games and stuff like that. And Elden Ring is all I'm playing right now. So yeah, I think we're both about neck and neck. I mean, I, yeah, we're probably both at around 80, 90 hours or something like that. So. Yeah, so I, I think that was what I was really looking forward to was, you know, just the the open world being able to just kind of explore and what things are you going to run into and but us doing it at the same time, I think, was what I was really excited for and us being able to like jump in and help each other. And we've been able to do that a ton so far. Yeah, I got to say, that's one of my favorite things about having um, a gaming spouse like you or specifically you. Um, specifically, specifically me, thank you, you uh, is that not only do we both like games, right? Like it was important to me that when I found the person I wanted to spend the rest of my life with, that that person had to be at least game friendly. Would would be okay, but like it would be way better if you were like like game positive, right? And you're super game positive, which is great. Um, and also like it 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 wouldn't matter if you if you didn't like the games that I like like I don't you don't have to like the same things I do but you happen to like a lot of the same things that I do which is great so in a situation like this we can both get excited about the same thing we can spend a lot of time doing the same thing so it's like you know I'm not hassling you to get off your game because I want to do something else and you're not hassling me to get off my game like we're both literally like playing the same thing helping each other out with bosses and exploring and stuff which I think is great I mean I love that as a good good bonding together you know quality time sort of a you know pastime right yeah i think it's slightly different than um some other people so you you and i both have many friends and people that we know that is playing that are playing elden ring right now right and in fact i was talking to a friend of mine recently and he was talking about how he really wants to get into it and he wants to play but you know how do i make the time he has two young kids i think they're both like under seven um you know and he's married and has a job and all this stuff and you know we were talking about he's like how do you make time for it and i was like well my husband and my son are both playing it as well. So it actually is family time. Like we, we all get on together and we're like, Hey, you know, we'll ask our son, like, what do you, what do you want to work on? And you and I'll jump in with him and we'll help him get through it or beat a boss or whatever. So, you know, I don't know if you've talked much about our gaming setup in our house, but we're all in the room together. So we are able to have conversations and we're literally talking about family stuff and random stuff that it doesn't even have to do with the game while we're like beating up on a boss together. So, you know, it's, 
it doesn't pull away from our family in the same way that it might for other people. So we're definitely, I think, fortunate in that way. We all play similar games. And so we're able to actually jump in together. So it's not taking away from something necessarily. Yeah, I mean, I really agree with that. And I think that's really key. You know, we're definitely like a gaming family, right? Like I was a gamer to start with. So were you when we met. I mean, I think I've told that story before. And, you know, our son, I would have been totally fine if he didn't care about games or didn't like them. But I mean, he's been immersed in them or surrounded by them ever since he was, you know, a baby. So I think he's just as naturally gravitated towards wanting to do the same things that the family does. And it's weird because, you know, uh, he's got his own tastes and preferences. Like he and I can play Fortnite together and that's fun. And he has recently been enjoying some Elden Ring. But like there's a lot of times when our tastes don't cross over. So like he'll play something. Where I'm like, oh, God, like, how are you playing that? And that's so boring. Or like, he'll look at me and be like, oh, dad, why are you playing that dumb game? So you can have ga- multiple gamers in the house and still not all like the same thing and all have your own pursuits and interests that are just within the wide world of gaming. You don't even have to like the same things. But I do think it's fortunate that we, in this particular case, have all really gravitated towards it and, and played it. And in fact, after the podcast, our son has requested that we go help him with one specific quest when we get upstairs. So we can do that. But. All right, so now that we're all in Elden Ring, um, tell us a little bit about your character, and I guess just give us your your brief thoughts so far. Like, what do you think about it in general before we get into any specifics? So I ended up going with the, I think it was the samurai character. So that has, again, the melee and dexterity. So those are my focus. So I definitely have not been putting any time or effort or stats into anything else. So I'm not doing anything in faith or intelligence or anything like that. Um. And I've really liked the character. I, I actually, as a matter of fact, I still have the original bow and original, um, uh, I think it was a katana. Yeah. Um, the original sword that I had from like when I started. Oh, you have the starting gear. Stuff. I have literally everything that's starting. I have um, gotten better armor and better shields. But honestly, I've, I have upgraded everything so much at this point that I would be starting much lower and yes, ultimately, the top level would probably be way better. And, you know, I'm sure there's all sorts of criticism for me staying with those weapons, but they've been great. And I find all these smithing stones that I can upgrade my stuff and whatever. So um, so that's the character I have. I really enjoy it. That is definitely my typical way of playing Dark Souls type games. Um, and I've really been enjoying the character so far. So, Well, you know, I mean, it's an interesting point you bring up because, uh, you know, I've, I've seen some people struggle with Elden Ring. And uh, some people, I think Carlos is one of those, actually. I think when we talked on the Elden cast, he was talking um, about his frustration with, like, not finding better gear and not feeling like he was advancing in the typical way that he, in the, you know, power curve progression you know, style that he enjoys. Nothing wrong with that. Just the style he likes, but that's not exactly what FromSoft games do. But he was saying that he felt like he wasn't finding enough gear. He didn't feel like he was leveling up in the way that he wanted to level up. And I was, you know, I was saying to him, these games, you can actually keep your starting gear. And I mean, you can probably likely finish the entire game with the starting gear as long as you like upgrade it as you go. Like you don't necessarily have to find a better sword. And it's kind of to your point where, you know, you, if you keep your stuff, on pace with the levels that you're going to and keep upgrading. I mean, it's, you know, the stuff you're finding isn't as strong as the stuff that you've got. Well, and there's also the additional piece of the, um, ashes, I think it's called where you can, you can add some, some qualities to your weapons. Ashes of war. yeah. Yeah. So I've been able to add a couple of those things, which to be fair, my son actually was the one who was like, mom, why haven't you added that on there? I'm like, I don't know what you're talking about. And <laughs> to be fair, they really don't explain very much about it. <laughs> so he actually had to sit on the couch and be like, you click this, go here. And I was like, oh shit, that's super cool. Um, so I have added a couple of, of those things, um, which has brought my, again, original swords like that much higher. So I, you know, I'm still in the original weapons i i have upgraded my armor armor like i said and i do there are other swords and bows and stuff that i could probably use but i just i look at them and i'm like eh, you know i like what i have and you know i'm 80 plus hours in and i don't really want to learn a new like movement you know i did move to another sword at one point and the the actual mechanics of it were slightly different like how they attacked, you know, it would sweep from underneath or it would stab or whatever. And I'm like, uh, like, that's not what I'm used to. And so like, I have like a system when I come in, you know, jump in a hit and whatever. And so I don't want to like 
relearn that to be perfectly honest. So right. that's why I'm okay with upgrading and the, the, um, Ash of War or whatever that you can add in also adds an element to it without having to change the weapon that you like or are used to. Yeah. You can change like the, the, um, what is it? The scaling of it sometimes. And also it adds like an extra, like little, um, bonus attack. Like the one that you had for a while, I don't know what you have now, but for a while you had a move where what you like sliced your hand or something and yeah, sprayed blood like- out. It was like a blood move of some kind. And it was it was a pretty powerful hit. I actually just switched it out recently for something with my shield, where it's a, a shield attack of some kind, and it knocks the person over and stuns them, which has been pretty handy. Yeah, so having the ability to keep your weapon that you like with the, the same basic moveset, but to just change one element of it with the Ashes of War, I think is pretty useful. But that being said, I have backed myself into a small corner because I haven't put a lot into... Um, What's the FP meter? The one? Focus. The, yeah, well, the, the, focus. Ma- the magic meter. Yeah, basically. I, I haven't put a lot into that because obviously I haven't really ne- had a use for it. But now that we're getting a little more advanced, now that I'm adding those um, Ash of War to my weapons and stuff, I am finding that I need that to be larger. And now I'm at the point where we're doing like, what, 50,000 runes to to level up, up, to once, level up. Yeah. so i may have to respec at some point and just kind of put a little bit more into it but i've been going this long without with focusing solely on you know health strength and dexterity and uh you know and uh endurance the stamina so stamina, yeah. um you know i've been pretty like standard with those but now i am realizing eh, i wish i had put like a little bit into that there's some um talismans that can help me out but it's not quite enough so yeah it's interesting you bring that up because uh you know i'm still playing an intelligence-based wizard kind of character the first time i've ever done that in a souls game usually i'm a melee person as well like usually just straight across meat and potatoes strength build i mean that's the most effective if you want to beat a souls game i believe that's it's always the most effective most reliable but i wanted to change it up i've never played a magic character before i figured this was a good time to do it and i think it is a good time because there is a lot of options. I mean, Elden Ring marks the return of FromSoft um, from when they were going down this get-good path. They they started off with the, the highlights and the touchstones of their gameplay being character build, options, variety, tons of weapons, tons of ways to approach any situation. And then they gradually, you know, they were kind of getting high on their own supply for a while when they were, they were falling into that hole. You're going to, you know... Uh, you're going to die and get ready to die. And Dark Souls games are so hard and they we're all about being difficult, which I, I really don't think they were. They got that rep, um, however, you know, through whatever reason. But I don't think that was their original um, their original goal. They just kind of fell into it once PR started running with it, maybe. And I feel like the the Sekiro and the Bloodborne phase for them is where they started to get away from their core principles not to say that they couldn't experiment, and I think it's good ultimately that they did, but I think both of those games show that they wanted you to play in a more prescriptive way, where you, if you didn't like the way that you needed to counter in Sekiro, or if you didn't like um, the lack of a shield in Bloodborne, well, that was too bad for you. You just had to suck it up and just keep moving on, uh, which to me didn't really work that well. I mean, I played both those games. Um, you know, I've got my own opinions on those, but they're not my favorites. Neither one of those is my favorite. And seeing Elden Ring return to their core belief of here's a thousand options, here's a thousand builds, here's a thousand weapons, here's a thousand magic spells, mix and match and do whatever works for you. That to me is where I feel like FromSoft is the best. I mean, have you have you enjoyed that as well? Yeah, I definitely enjoy approaching things in different ways. And I think that's one of the things too that we've been able to see very clearly between you, me, and our son is that we all kind of have a different approach. We've all seen things differently. I did want to mention too that It's been really fun having you actually as a magic player, because I feel like when we team up, that is like, like the perfect combination in, as in real life, you know, is that I'm able to come in, in a situation and get up close with a boss or whatever situation we're doing. And you're able to hang back and do things from a little bit further away. And so we're able to kind of tag team that way. And I think it's been really successful throughout the gameplay so far. Yeah, we're good balance. You know, I can lay down some DPS from a distance and you're up close, you know, dodging um, abilities and stuff like that. And it's interesting because no matter what boss we come up against, you know, sometimes I'm stronger uh, and sometimes you're stronger and we can kind of cover each other's backs. But like lately, I think one of the real key points that maybe a lot of people aren't discovering is that co-op is a really strong aspect of Elden Ring. It's not perfect because there's still a couple hoops to jump through. It's kind of janky in some ways. FromSoft really needs to like, I wish they would just open it up and just give it just normal multiplayer, right? 
And I don't even want to start talking about the getting invaded oh, and how often that happens. We'll talk about that in a second. We'll talk about that in a second. But I think that this is a really great co-op game, not only because you can have different character builds that support each other, but also in in the in some bosses, like being able to draw aggro. I noticed over the last couple of days when we're starting to hit a lot of tougher bosses, where as long as we space each other out correctly, like I'll be on one side, you'll be on the other side of the boss, so that the boss is kind of like in a pincer. Um, if you start attacking them, like within one or two hits, you'll draw the aggro. They'll start going towards you. I'll start doing DPS from behind. And then once they take a certain amount of damage, they start coming after me. But then that opens up for you to attack them from behind. And like to, to tag team a boss like that really, I'm not going to say it completely defangs the bosses, but it makes them a lot more manageable when someone else um, with a brain is there trying to manage the situation. I mean, the ash, the, the, the ash summons that you get is a cool system where you can equip these and then you can summon all sorts of different monsters and animals and knights and stuff to help you out in battle. Not a perfect system though. Not a perfect system. I think it's too strict and I think it's too wonky and it's too unreliable in some points, but it's a good starting place. I'd like to see them expand on it, but, but taking that same concept to the next level with a second player and being able to basically call in a friend or a spouse in this case, uh, almost anywhere in the game, there's very few places you can't do it. Uh, I think that just really makes this game sing. And I love, um, I mean, I, I'm glad I jumped in with you because I really feel that has greatly enhanced my enjoyment of it. I'm, I'm guessing probably the same for you. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it was what I was most excited about with this one that we were going to be able to like jump in and out of each other's games and stuff. And it has been just as successful as I was hoping. And I think the different stats and specs that we have both set up with our character has really, really worked well together. Yeah. Yeah. I've been pretty happy about that. Let's talk about that invading though. Huh? How about that invading? We have to. We have to talk about it. Uh, you know, so I, something weird is going on at FromSoft because I've talked to a bunch of players on Twitter, at Game Critics, in my personal circle, and almost everybody I've talked to is playing it solo. Uh, I think you and I are the only people who are like playing, well, definitely playing with somebody they know. I don't know anybody else who's playing with anybody they know. And the few people I've talked to who have summoned for help usually just do it like right before a boss. Like they don't like, play through a zone with help or anything but you and i are playing as much together as possible like we'll be exploring some places together we'll be you know definitely doing the bosses and stuff but just kind of helping each other out etc etc and the people i've talked to who are playing solo have been like yeah i've put in like 100 hours i haven't been invaded once <laughs> and i'm like fuck that because you and i play together and we get invaded literally every five minutes. I think one time we got invaded like five or six times. In, we were, in one run. When we were yes. doing that castle. Yes. And we, oh my God. Yeah, it was, it's ridiculous. Oh. So clearly something in the FromSoft algorithm is giving invasion preference to people who are playing co-op. Now I get it, right? They probably, I mean, I don't know. I'm not at FromSoft. I don't know anybody who works there. But I'm guessing the idea is probably, well... If we send invaders into a world where there's already two people who are buddies, probably less chance they're going to get killed by the invader, probably making it slightly less painful. Um, because, I mean, let's face it. If you're the kind of person who does invasions all the time, you're probably an asshole. You probably have a personality defect. Probably. I mean, probably. Very probably. You know, I can't imagine the kind of person who would go after the PvP-specific weapons and then get a build going and spend their entire day fucking up the games of other people. I I mean you're probably a bad person, am I right? Yeah, I and that's I think one of the reasons why it it annoys me so much is of course I'm creating this whole person in my head when sure. they invite invade my game, but I'm like why are you here? It's like 2 in the morning. I just want to play some game with my husband uninterrupted and you keep fucking showing up in my game and it pisses me off. Yeah. Yeah, it's we've we've been getting interrupted a lot and it's I mean, it's literally like at least once a run, at least like at every least. at least at least every five minutes. We've been invaded so many times that it's almost a joke. Like we just when we start a level, we're like, OK, we're going to we're about to get invaded. So where's the best place for us to wait? And yeah. then lo and behold, we get invaded. That's exactly what we do. And I, you know, I think it's getting worse, too, because so many people are probably wrapping up their game. Right. A lot of people have probably played through a large chunk of this game, if not the whole thing. Right. So it's been out long enough that people are starting to get to that point. So they're really, you know, like you said, they've got those weapons that are specifically for like just decimating you yeah. when they show up. And so it's happening over and over and over and over again. And I'm just like, 
find something else to fucking do with yes, your time because I, I would like to just play my game. Get a job. Find find a friend or something. You know, like yesterday, we got invaded by Take some... Take up knitting. I mean, please. Please do. Crochet. Whatever. We got invaded no, by knitting. some guy who, like, one weapon was, like, you know, like a maxed out bleed weapon. One was a maxed out poison weapon he was dual wielding. And it was like... You know, you and I are just, we were just trying to fight a boss or something. We were just trying to make some progress. We haven't finished the game. We still have like tons of the game left. We're kind of just, you know, neither one of us is specced out for like PVP or anything like that. We're kind of just enjoying our time. And then here comes this asshole with like these dual status weapons, just like wrecking our shit. And it's like, I just, I'm, I'm kind of done with it. Like, I really wish that from would switch it up and like send some of these invaders towards single players or to or, other people. Or just if, it, if we got invaded during our game. How about we don't get invaded yeah. for another couple hours or something? Like, like we literally could that one castle. I mean, it was a when joke we were in Stormvale Castle. In fact, yeah. I think we quit. Like, we eventually we got we got invaded so many times that we're like, whatever, we're yeah. just going to bed or yeah. whatever. Because it was just we couldn't make any progress because every time we would go a little bit further, and it was always in an area where there's somebody to be aggroed. Yeah, which is just fucking annoying as shit. So not only have you had this person like in interrupt your game but inevitably they're like i'm gonna just hang out by this super strong magic person so that we both can basically attack you and we're just like what the yeah fuck? yeah i mean it, it really sucks because it usually happens when you're near like you said like you're near a boss or you're near a bunch of big monsters or something and then the, the guy runs around aggros everybody and then sits back and starts doing emotes at you which is bullshit um but i mean i think that would be a good workable system too where if you get invaded Let's just say you can't get invaded for another 30 minutes or 45 minutes or something because it was literally like every five minutes when we were playing, if not even sooner than that. Like every time we'd, we'd either we'd either kill the guy and move on and get immediately invaded again or we would get killed. And the next time we booted up, we would get invaded again. Like it was it was too much. Yes. All right. Agreed. Agreed. So from soft, I know you're listening. Put a timer, <laughs> like put a cooldown timer. Let us, you know, once an hour, I wouldn't complain about it. Once every five minutes, it pisses me the fuck off. So it's too much. Um, okay, so at this point in the game, we are, like we said, we're both about 90-ish hours in, 80, 90 hours in. Um, I guess, are you, how are you doing? Are you getting tired of it? Do you feel like you're making good progress? What What is, like, how do you feel about the remainder of the game ahead of you? Um, so I actually just recently was looking at the map and I guess not really understanding what I was looking at, but I was like, man, it looks like I'm like kind of wrapping things up. I've like, you know, found most of the the caves and the the dungeons and all this stuff. And I was kind of disappointed because I was like, I'm not really ready for it to be over. Cause again, I think one of the elements that's made this really, really enjoyable is that we're all playing it as a family. You know, you and I can do our own thing. Our son does his own thing, but we jump in together. I help our son. Sometimes you do, we do it together as a family, all that. So that's really added an element that I think uh, just another layer of why this has been so much fun. But then I realized that, I had this whole like dark area that was a dark area because I just hadn't been there yet and all this kind of stuff. So I realized that I had a whole section, huge section left. So I was very excited about that. So I've really been enjoying it. I haven't tired of it yet at all. And like I said earlier in the show, this is the only thing I'm playing right now. I knew I was going to take up most of my time. So I didn't really want to jump back and forth between something else. Um, so I've really been enjoying it. And, you know, we ta we've talked often about how how much we play together. But we do play quite a bit separately where we're just exploring, we're looking at different areas. And I'm always surprised at how much you and I both find that neither one of us found before, either an area we hadn't been to or a cave that we, you know, oh, I totally walked through that area. I didn't even see that door. So we're still like doing that even this many hours into it, even areas that we both have been to that were like, oh, did you find that tower? Or, oh, did you? In fact, I think we liter literally did it the other day. Yeah. You had found some church that I hadn't found. And I was like, oh, shit, like I got to go back to. And this was an area that I'd been in and out of like for a while, because I think also it's easy to forget. It's easy to forget. Oh, I wanted to go back to that area. Or even when I mark stuff on my map, I'm like, why did I mark that? I'm just going to remove it because why did I mark it? And then I don't follow up. So I've really, really been enjoying it. And I still, you know, 85, 90 hours in, I'm still still enjoying myself. Yeah. I mean, I think this is definitely more of a marathon than a sprint. I mean, I've, I've talked to some people who say they're kind of burning out on it and stuff. And I get that. I mean, it's a huge, huge monster of a game. I mean, I mean, it may be the largest game I've ever played um, in terms of an open world game, uh, both in terms of sheer acreage and also in terms of the density of what you're doing. It's not just like these wide open spaces that you're running across at full speed. It's like 
there's like literally something around every corner, like behind every rock, there's a thing at the bottom of every river gorge. There's a thing at the top of every mountain. There's a thing behind every tree. There's a thing. Um, so there's, there's so much content and it's so rich that if you want to take your time and find everything or find as much as you can, you're definitely going slow and you're definitely going not at, not at the pace that you probably would go with other games. Right. And I think, that's been fine. And I've kind of got in the mindset of where I'm like, okay, I'm just going to play a little bit of Elden Ring a day and I'm going to work my way through it. I'm not going to try to rush. I'm not going to feel pressure. And if it takes me six months to finish this, that's fine because, you know, I can play other things in addition to, but I'm going to just chip away at this because I, I definitely don't want a crit path and I don't want to just rush to the end and miss a bunch of stuff. I'm going to talk to people who finished the game in like 60 hours. And I'm like, dude, I was still in the starting area after 60 hours how are you done already? I mean, maybe you you figured out where to go and what to do, but there's no way you saw everything. You must have missed a million bosses. You must have missed a million pieces of gear to pick up. You missed a million side quests. Like why? I guess I just don't know why you would rush through it. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely this game is not set up for that. Like you said, this is a marathon. And, you know, again, I, I do think we are approaching it slightly different in that we have a built in partner to play with. It lends itself to, you know, because there's definitely been areas where I get to it and I get really frustrated because, you know, I attempt to do a boss on my own and it's like one of the, you know, double bosses. So then I'm like, well, shit, how am I going to, you know, and I try to do it a few times and then, you know, would I just like leave and not even do that part or not even finish exploring that part? But I have, you know, an automatic team I can have come in and help me, which I think allows me to like explore a lot more areas without kind of the fear of not being able to to do it or to get so frustrated that I don't want to keep doing it or whatever. So I definitely think that that has helped to switch it up a little bit and make it really enjoyable. And, you know, like I said, this many hours in and I'm still ready to go play some more. Yeah. I mean, this game definitely has legs. If you click with the gameplay, it kind of reminds me of something like um, a Monster Hunter, just in terms of like sheer size, where if you want to dig into monster hunter, like you really want to get like the best weapons. If you really want to find all the monsters, you mean that's like a two, 300 hour crusade. Right. And I feel like it's kind of the same thing here where, I mean, I don't know about you, but Elden ring has surpassed what my expectations were in terms of both quality and size. Like it's, it's much better in all respects than I was expecting. And it's, it's a huge undertaking. So, but, I, but it's so good that I'm, I'm fine with that. So even if I keep talking about this game for the next six months or something, that's okay. I'm not going to complain because, you know, it's gonna, probably going to be a while until we get another game from these people. And who's to say that they're going to do something of the same quality next time? You never know. So I'm just going to enjoy this for what it is and just take it slow and, uh, and just savor it while it's here. Agreed. All right. Um, I think we're probably going to wrap it up in a minute here. Any final thoughts on Elden Ring that you want to share with the folks? Not that I can think of. I just, I've really enjoyed it. I've really enjoyed being able to play as a family too. If you can find somebody that you can co-op regularly with, I mean, definitely try it out. I mean, I've summoned randos too, and everybody has been really great, really super helpful on, you know, different bosses or areas or whatever, but just being able to play together and be able to talk to each other. Oh, I'm going to, I'm going to run around here and I, you know, I got his back and you like, you know, go around the other way, whatever has really just made it another level of fun, I think. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So I I, I agree with that 100%, and I would definitely say to people listening, um, if you're playing Elden Ring, I mean, that's not to say you're doing it wrong if you're doing it solo, but I think there's a whole lot of opportunity out there to not only get help, but just to enjoy the game in different ways. And it definitely has a different, it hits different when you're playing with somebody, um, not just randos, just for bosses, but just like when you're going through it with a friend, partner, um, child, you know, whatever. Um, maybe, you know, try to find a friend and, and go through it. And, you know, maybe you're not going to go through the whole game. Maybe you're not going to go from A to Z and maybe it's just going to be here or there. But I feel like, I feel like it's a real good experience. And I think more people out there should try to play it um, with, with a buddy. Yeah. I think this is actually a really good example of, you know, there's still, unfortunately in 2022, that narrative out there that if you play games, it means you are antisocial and you don't like to be around people and you hide in your basement, whatever, whatever garbage is out there. And video games for our son, for example, especially, you know, COVID and all that kind of stuff has been a really social aspect to him. And I think this is a great game for that piece, you know, to really be able to connect with somebody else and 
you know, talk about your frustrations with the game and, you know, oh my God, let's go explore this thing. Oh my, I never found this one. Oh, did you find this other thing? You know, so there is definitely a social aspect to it that I think people, certain people want to say is not a part of video games. And I think this, this game has really lent itself to that, which I think is really great. Yeah, definitely agreed. So you may not think of Elden Ring as your family quality time, as your buddy hangout time, as your Friday night pizza and drinks time, but I think that maybe it can be. It's not all darkness. It's not all get good. It's not all you're dying every five minutes. I think it's a really great opportunity. And in fact, you can even play with two friends. I think the most, uh, the largest number, if I'm not mistaken, I may be mistaken, but I think the largest number that you can play with is three. So it could be you and two friends, which is exactly what we do sometimes. So maybe think of it as as a hangout game and a fun game in that way. And uh, you may be opening yourself up to a whole new world of adventure. All right. That is going to end the Elden Spouse cast. Uh, hope you folks have enjoyed our particular take on that, that husband-wife slant. Um, but this is going to bring us to the end of the show. Thank you very much for listening. As always, we would love to get your questions and comments. Hit us up. So video games podcast at gmail.com. We're on Twitter at so video games. You can hit me up on Instagram and Twitter. It's my name, B R A D G A L L A W A Y all A's no O's. And that is going to do it for episode two, seven, seven. Once again, thank you for listening. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next week. But in the meantime, this is bye from Brad and bye from Carlos. Wait, wait. You were supposed to take that out of the script. I forgot. Oh I rewrote God. most of this. I typo. It's okay. Great. Now you got to edit that out. That's more work for Corey. I'm sorry. Well, whatever. Just let it ride. It's fine. It's whatever. They knew who you were. You're not Carlos. You're not Carlos. I am you? not Carlos. Whew. Okay. That was going to get real awkward in a hurry. Okay. All right, folks. See you later. Bye-bye.